0: Today is Wednesday, November the 9th, 2022. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, and that's prn.live, L-I-V-E, Streaming on the Internet. podcast of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. My longtime friend and colleague, Joe King, on The Personal Computer Show, passed away last Wednesday, November 2nd, at age 87. He was preceded in death on January 16, 2022, by the love of his life, Joanna King. Joe King was born May 25, 1935, in Brooklyn, New York. Joe graduated from Duke University, and he served honorably in the U.S. Army. Joe and Joanna had moved to Prescott, Arizona just prior to the outbreak and lockdown of COVID-19. He was employed at Grolier Enterprises as an editor on Grolier Encyclopedia New Book of Knowledge. He was self-employed and wrote several columns and books on computing through his publishing company, Four Seasons Publishing. Joe was involved with computer technology since 1964. He was a former president of the New York Amateur Computer Club. In the beginning, there was Joe King, Dave Berstein, and I, when we started broadcasting on WBAI-FM in August of 1983 and continuing on to PRN.Live online in 2016. The Personal Computer Show is a three-time winner of the National Computer Press Award for Excellence in Computer Radio Broadcasting. The Personal Computer Show is now in its 40th year. Many listeners have commented how was the show able to have a long run as they felt Joe lean to the left and I lean to the right. In reality, we were almost always in agreement, but we just had a different perspective, but philosophically, we shared the same goals. Joe was an advocate for the mentally ill and homeless. Each morning, he would put five $1 bills in his pocket and distribute to homeless people as he walked around New York City. I personally will miss the daily chatter between Joe and myself. NASA's mega rocket rose back to the launch pad. Hurricane Ian sent space launch system back to the garage, but the inaugural Artemis 1 moon mission is now poised to launch on November the 14th. The towering space launch system is back at launch pad 39B at NASA's Kennedy Space Center in Florida, following a nine hour trek from the nearby Vehicle Assembly Building. The agency is targeting November the 14th for the rocket's first launch, an event that will kick off the Artemis 1 mission and NASA's return to the moon. Could this be it? Might this finally be the last time NASA has to cart the 321 foot tall Space Launch System? to the launch pad? The launch attempt on November the 14th will be NASA's third try at getting the rocket off the ground. So it's had plenty of practice at this point. But as we saw during those attempts and also during the wet rehearsals, the space launch system is a bit finicky, particularly when it comes to the loading of its liquid hydrogen propellant. For this mission, an uncrewed Orion spacecraft will travel to the moon and return to Earth three and a half weeks later without performing a lunar landing. The purpose of Artemis 1 mission is to test a powerful new rocket and the Orion capsule setting the stage for the crew Artemis 2 mission in 2024. NASA tried to launch the Space Launch System on August the 29th but a faulty sensor forced the scrub. The second scrub on September 3rd was a result of a hydrogen leak, prompting an impromptu cryogenic tanking test that the agency successfully performed on September the 22nd. NASA was set to launch the rocket on September 27th, but Hurricane Eon sent the Space Launch System back to the Vehicle Assembly Building for shelter. Ground teams used the opportunity to recharge batteries associated with the rocket's flight termination system, the booster, Orion and batteries belonging to the secondary payload. NASA's exploration ground systems at a press briefing said some hardware was replaced and tests of the flight termination system were also done. No outstanding issues remain open and that the rocket is ready to go. However, a storm is brewing in the Atlantic Ocean and has captured the attention of the weather officer of the U.S. Space Force 45th Weather Squadron. The low-pressure system, should it develop into something bigger, would likely affect Kennedy Space Center, but the weather officer doesn't expect the winds to pose a problem for the Space Launch System. Should all go according to plan, the countdown from the third Space Launch System launch attempt will begin just before 1 a.m., That's 1 a.m. in the morning Eastern Time on November the 12th, and the rocket would blast off during a 69-minute launch window that opens at 12.07 a.m. Eastern Time on November the 14th. At the press briefing, the Associate Administrator of NASA's Exploration System Development Mission Directorate said everyone's comfortable launching at night and that he doesn't see the darkness as a barrier to getting the data that we need. It's a shame that the rocket won't go up during daylight hours, or at least for this launch attempt. NASA has to consider a wide range of factors when determining launch windows, including the position of the moon, the earth, and the sun. Regardless, we won't complain when we finally get to see the space launch system take flight, something that just might actually happen. New federal regulations may turn contractors into employees. The U.S. Department of Labor recently issued a proposed rule that could lead to more workers being classified as employees rather than independent contractors under federal wage and hour law. The rule, which would rescind one issue in the last days of the previous administration, is aimed at combating employee misclassification, a serious issue that denies workers' rights, and protections under federal labor standards, according to the Department of Labor. Some critics argue the proposed rule creates greater confusion and provides a more restrictive approach to independent contractor classification. This rule makes the whole analysis much more complex and create more ambiguity. The proposed rule would have a substantial impact on businesses making it harder for them to classify a labor force as independent contractors, also known as gig workers. The prior rule lays out multiple factors to determine worker status, but places greater emphasis on two core factors. The nature and degree of control over the work, that is to say, how much the employer controls the performance of work, such as the worker's schedule, and the worker's opportunity for profit or loss. That is to say, can the worker decline certain jobs or ask for a higher rate? The proposed rule is broader. It uses an economic realities test with six factors determine a worker's status. Opportunity for profit or loss. Investment by the worker and employer. Degree of permanence of the working relationship. Nature and degree of control. Extent to which the work is an integral part of the employer's business and degree of skill and initiative the worker exhibits. With the proposed rule, it's not clear the amount of weight each will hold in a specific analysis or situation. So even if one factor being met could potentially mean the worker needs to be reclassified. The Department of Labor maintains that the factors do not have a predetermined weight and are considered in view of the economic reality of the whole activity. The test looks at the extent to which the work is an integral part of the employer's business that has the possibility of being a game-changer. The proposed rule can impact almost any business that give workers from ride-sharing firms to travel agencies. For example, one can argue that without drivers, ride-sharing companies like Lyft wouldn't have a business. As a result, there likely will be litigation under the new rules, arguing that drivers should be classified as employees. Meanwhile, Lyft, in a statement, downplayed the impact of the proposed rule on its business, noting it's similar to the Obama administration approach and the majority of their workers work limited hours. We can expect litigation of courts if the rule is finalized. The proposed rule may be less impactful for New York businesses because courts in New York, when evaluating, worker classification for wage and hour purposes generally rely on a test similar to this proposed Department of Labor rule. It is noted that in the remote work environment, New York businesses that hire independent contractors outside of New York in states that already had more employer-friendly classification interpretations, like the prior rule, would now have to contend with a more stringent proposed federal rule. Employers have until November the 28th to weigh in on the proposed rule with the Department of Labor. Employers that rely heavily on independent contractors may want to seek a professional opinion on how this rule can impact them. The HR Policy Association says while it does not support worker misclassification, it thinks the federal government would be better served with a legislative proposal that would create a new independent worker category under federal wage and our law that would bring with it basic social and safety nets. A Facebook group with 882 drivers agrees that such a category would be desirable. This proposed rule would lead to many independent contractors losing that status and the independence that comes with it. For a gig worker, putting them into a category as an employee can take away the freedom of being called an independent contractor, such as the ability to choose assignments and make their own schedule. Such a flexibility is what most gig workers want to have. It is estimated in the United States, independent contractor population is 22.1 million. That's a very high number. You may not get your USPS mail due to a major problem. With issues like prominent postal scams and widespread mail theft to contend with, the U.S. Postal Service, which otherwise is known as USPS, is facing some obvious challenges. Postmaster Louis DeJoy has been spearheading a major initiative to get the agency back on track to stability with the introduction of his Delivering for America, that's DFA, plan in 2021. Coupled with the Postal Service Reform Act signed into law earlier this year, there's a concerted effort to strengthen the USPS and alleviate some of the issues affecting customers. But despite a number of adjustments already being made, the Postal Service is still struggling with mail delivery right now. Some people might not get their mail due to a major delivery problem. The USPS is responsible for delivering mail six days a week. But that doesn't mean you won't end up with an empty mailbox from time to time. The agency said it is normal for a household to not have any mail deliver, and there are also common conditions or events that may prevent the delivery of your mail. And that includes your mailbox being blocked, a dog on the premises, hazardous conditions, and natural disasters. But even outside of these issues, many USPS customers have been reporting missing mail over the last year. Amid complaints in several areas across the country, the Postal Service has denied awareness of delivery delays in certain places while also acknowledging experiencing some delays in others. Now, there is a big issue that could be contributing to the problem workers are often having to violate their union contracts by working overtime because of understaffing. Union contracts don't authorize employees to work more than 60 hours a week. However, when some of the employees had already hit 60 hours by Wednesday, that means that on Thursday and Friday, USPS didn't have workers. Some do come to work to try to get people their mail. Your mail can still get delivered if understaffed USPS workers choose to work overtime. However, this is not a sustainable solution. Some can't keep working 70 plus hours, almost 80 hours a week, and still be able to have a work-life balance. Unfortunately, some people are not getting the service that they deserve, and it's because USPS needs so much help. USPS is urging people to apply to work for the post office. They're hiring people. This doesn't appear to be an isolated issue. Understaffing is occurring in many parts of the United States and has already had an effect on customers. Back in July, Newsai reported that major staffing shortages were causing USPS delivery delays in multiple states, including Montana, Kentucky, Ohio, and Massachusetts. USPS has been struggling. They have had to overburden the employees. And the COVID pandemic is still impacting the agency's workforce. Temporary issues with employee availability due to the COVID pandemic continue to strain the available resources as USPS is aggressively hiring to fill all vacant positions. USPS is using every resource available, including authorizing overtime, delivering mail earlier and later in the day or on Sundays, and, in extreme cases, have postmasters, managers and supervisors delivering mail to ensure that customers get the service they deserve. But union officials say this is not a permanent solution for the understaffing problem. The only thing that's going to fix it is if they can get more people in there. Staffing shortages have led to post offices consistently going undelivered and employees violating work hour limits. The postal service cannot succeed unless it solves its chronic staffing problems first. These problems were certainly made worse by the pandemic and the labor market condition that resulted from the so-called Great Resignation, but these problems predated the pandemic. Google is shutting down its dedicated Street View app next year. Google is preparing to shut down the dedicated Street View app on Android, keeping the feature in Google Maps. Google Street View is an easy way to get a 360-degree look at almost any given street on the planet. Perfect for getting a sense of your next travel, destination, or simply exploring the world from the comfort of home. While the Google Maps app had long offered an easy way to hop into Street View, there has also been a dedicated Street View app on Android and iOS. This standalone app served two distinct groups of people, those who wanted to deep browse Street View and those who wanted to contribute their own 360 degrees imagery. Considering the more popular Google Maps app has Street View support and Google's offers a Street View Studio web app for contributors, it should be no surprise to learn that the company is now preparing to shut down the Street View app. In the latest update, Google has prepared a handful of shutdown notices for the Street View app. Google confirms that the Street View app is set to shut down on March the 31st of next year and is encouraging users to switch to either Google Maps or Street View Studio. The app is going away and the support will end March the 21st, 2023. To publish your own 360 video, switch to Street View Studio to view Street View and add Photo Spheres, use Google Maps. However, one feature that is being fully shut down with the Street View app's demise is that of photo paths. first launched last year. PhotoPaths was intended as a way to let nearly anyone with a smartphone contribute simple 2D photos of a road or path that has not yet been documented, by Street View. Unlike every other feature of the Street View app, there is no replacement for photo paths on the web app or Google Maps app. Windows 11 run on fewer than one in six PCs. StatCounter says Windows 10 is still number one in the Windows world. Much of the Windows world has yet to adopt Microsoft's latest desktop operating system more than a year after its launch, according to figures for October collated by StatCounter. Just 15.44% of PCs across the globe have installed Windows 11, meaning it gained 1.83 percentage points in a month. This compares to the 71.29% running Windows 10, which fell marginally from 71.88% in September. Windows 7 is still hanging on to third place with 9.61%. Windows 8.1 in fourth with 2.45%. And good old plain old Windows 8 with 0.69%. And yes, there is still Windows XP running, making up 0.39% or 0.39 of 1%. In total... Windows has almost 76% of the global desktop OS market, followed by OS X with 15.7% and Linux with 2.6%. Android comprised 42.37% of total operating system market share, with Windows trailing on 30.11%, iOS on 17.6%, OS X on 6.24%, and Linux. On 1.04%. StatCounter is a web analytics service with tracking code installed on 1.5 million websites, recording billions of page views for each site. AdDuplex collates stats from Microsoft Store apps that contain the AdDuplex SDK. Windows 11 was launched a year ago on October the 5th, 2021. It is the OS most never thought what happened after Microsoft said some six years earlier, with Windows 10, the experience will evolve and get even better over time. We'll deliver new features when they're ready, not waiting for the next major release. We think of Windows as a service. One reason for the new release was improved security and reliability. Microsoft said, including the hardware route of Trusted via TPM or the Trusted Platform Module, 2.0, Secure Boot, Hypervisor protected Code Integrity, and Hardware Enforced Stack Protection. In other words, Windows 11 needs new hardware. Microsoft Windows 11 is here. Will you run it? Can you run it? Do you even want to run it? For most of us, Windows 10 is not broken. So why the rush to convert? The release also managed to alienate a bunch of people who, due to its hardware requirements. Microsoft decided that Windows 11 would not install on devices that lack a recent TPM-equipped CPU, and while there is a workaround, it's an imperfect solution. According to LandSweeper data, some 42.76% of 27 million PCs it tested across 60,000 organizations failed the CPU test, and it said this was forcing users who didn't want to upgrade hardware, to just stick with Windows 10. Most corporate enterprises have yet to migrate to Windows 11. Typically, they wait for 18 months after an OS has launched before upgrading business computers. The entire PC ecosystem will be waiting with bated breath to see if that happens next year, or whether businesses will want to sweat assets for longer in a nod to uncertain economic times. Oh, by the way, and rumors are running around that Windows 11 may be released a year or more from now. Tablet and Chromebook shipments have fallen dramatically. Huawei was the only major tablet maker to grow shipments in the third quarter on the back of demand in China and Russia, as the rest of the top five manufacturers reported shrinking sales to retailers and distributors. Tablet shipments declined 8.8% year-on-year in the three months ended September, to 38.6 million units. The fifth consecutive drop, and Chromebooks fared even worse during the quarter. After massive growth in 2020 and 2021, A decline in the tablet market was expected in 2022. The market is now experiencing not only a slowdown in demand, but also some strong macroeconomic headwinds, said IDC. Even though most tablets, that's Android, and Chromebooks are lower cost, we're now seeing buyers' concerns even at the low end. This is largely driven by these rising economic concerns. IDC said Chinese vendors, particularly Huawei, tapped into the demand for cheaper devices to perform well in Russia, where sanctions prevented Western tech makers from peddling hardware. Apple saw sales decline 1.1% to 14.5 million, according to IDC estimates. Samsung was down 4% to 7.1 million. Amazon fell 8.1% to 4.3 million. And Lenovo shipments dropped 36.6% to 2.7 million, and Huawei grew 2% to 2.4 million. In its result filed late last week, Apple said iPad sales to end users were up 21% to 8.3 billion in the fourth quarter of its fiscal 2022 that ended September 30th, despite supply constraints. IDC Track sales into the channel, hence the difference in the figures. Chromebook shipments fell at a far faster rate, down 34.4% year-on-year to 4.3 million devices. This was the fifth straight decline for this sector of the PC industry. The downward trajectory began in the United States, which accounted for 70% of global shipments. The buying frenzy during the lockdown meant verticals including education, had enjoyed their fill and won't need replacement for some time. Chromebooks may face challenges in the industry, not all of which are because of limitations to the platform. IDC placed Acer as market leader with shipments of 1 million, albeit down 23.8% on a year ago. Dell shrank 19.9% to 900,000 units. HP was down 26. to 800,000, and Lenovo Plunge, 54.8% to 700,000. Samsung was down 37% to 300,000. Chromebooks will continue to play a fundamental role in personal computing and ultimately grow in presence compared to other existing platforms, but the growth will continue to be tempered as the industry adapts to this new environment we are all living in. We have seen many of the large PC brands prioritize around opportunities within the Windows PC space, and without their support from the supply side, the Chrome market will continue to move rather slowly. Hey, there's an old saying, what goes up must come down. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell.
1: This is Benjamin Rockwell and now it's time to get down to business and this is where we talk about the various things that impact us in the work world and this of course is how the work world impacts technology and computers and the rest and one of the situations that's kind of bled over into the technology world into the job world into all of this is something that started years ago. And this was something where, you know, people would meet at a club. A guy and a girl would meet at a club. And uh, she would give him her phone number. Or he would give her his phone number, however it worked out. And, you know, there'd be that whole call me. And then nothing happened. And the concept was granted a term. It was called ghosting. And ghosting has appeared in the professional world, and it is something that is taking off. All right, I know. Uh, You know, Halloween was just this past week, and I should have probably spent a little bit more time thinking about, you know, when do we we talk about these topics? But it, it only occurred to me as I was preparing for Halloween to talk about this topic. And it's unfortunate. And this goes in so many different directions. The idea that somebody will set up an interview with somebody else. And this doesn't matter. It can be on the employee side or employer's side. And then somebody just disappears. I actually had that happen. Uh, I went to go to an interview, a virtual interview, online and the other party did not show up. And I I went to the recruiter and I said, no, this I'm sorry. They were a no-show. Oh, they're so sorry. They're so sorry. And they were a no-show a second time. I will tell you that I almost gave up right there. I I was fortunate because there were a lot of apologies and all of that that went with it. And they said, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. There was a a problem with international timing and everything like that. He will be there. He will be there and so forth. And he was there on the third interview. Ten minutes late. Ouch. Yeah. Um. This ghosting happens in a number of different directions. Somebody doesn't show for an interview or maybe, you know what? We're going to hire you. You've got the job. And then nothing comes through. None of the paperwork, no first day, you know, nothing. Or on the flip side, hey, you're hired. Great. I'll be there. I'll see you Monday. And then the new employee doesn't show up. It's kind of sad. We have arrived in a world where people no longer care about their promises, that their various guarantees, agreements, their different arrangements enough to make through to come through with these to make good on that which they said. Now, that's something that I think we all sometimes have a feeling with this. We all have some level, but when we're talking about something like somebody's, you know, hiring somebody or going to work for somebody, this is not some little insignificant thing like, oh yes, we'll get, we'll get your favorite candy the next time we go to the movies. No, it isn't something simple like that. Yes, yes, you can have dessert after, after uh, dinner on Sunday. No, they, they, you know, okay, maybe you know, five-year-old, maybe that is a big thing. But, you know, we need to all work together on this. What are your thoughts on this? How, how would you do this? This is kind of what I go through. This is how I set up things in my life. If I make a promise in the work world, I write it down or type it down. I make sure that it goes on a list of things that I have to do that I said that I would do. Yes, I will meet this date. I will m- m- make this a top priority. I will give this the f- the full attention that it sh- that you want it to have, not that it should deserve. Now, there's there's two different. I'll give it the full t- attention it deserves. No, that's a that's a blow off. That's you know, I don't think so. Yeah, I'll give it the full attention it deserves. There's a round f- file right there. Throw it in the trash can. Um, no, you need to make sure that you are working to satisfy your boss. The different requirements you set forth, and you know th- this goes on the other side. There's there's a Bible verse. It goes, "Let your no be no." Your yes be yes, your no be no. And what that means is, you know what? If you're not going to follow through on that particular item in the work world, if you're not going to, to satisfy that particular project, you have to say no. You just say no right up front. Yes, I get it. Sometimes there are extenuating circumstances. There are certain things where... Once in a while, I I admit that I did say yes in regards to a particular project as I was leaving my old employer, and I I did say yes, but that was knowing that I actually wouldn't be able to make through with it. But I wasn't ready to announce it was it was a, a crossover of more about four or five days. And I I went and I apologized. I know I said yes, but I also knew this was happening. And I, I, you know, I, I couldn't bring myself to say no, because I couldn't give you a good, valid reason without revealing that I was leaving. So there you go. This is Benjamin Rockwell.
0: Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. Hackers and bad actors are weaponizing your typos. What to do to avoid type squatting malware attacks? It's hard to keep track of the many ways malware can affect your devices, but typo squatting is one of the sneakiest. As the name implies, hackers create websites, download links, and other legit looking but malicious URLs, including slight misspellings that can be easy to overlook. It's a simple idea. Typo squatting is surprisingly effective. According to recently published research by Cybo and Bleeping Computer, there are hundreds of typo-squatting URLs leveraging common typos like TLK space TOK instead of TIK space TOK. And there are others. And infecting Android and Windows devices with malware. But that's only these specific typo-squatting campaigns. There could be many more malicious typo-squatting links Masquerading as legit sites out there, so it's important to know how these attacks work and how to avoid them. How does typo squatting work? There are several ways a typo squatting attack can play out. For instance, hackers may make convincing login screens for popular apps and websites like TikTok or Twitter. Users will log into the fake site thinking they're signing into the real thing. In some cases, the fake pages are sophisticated enough that they redirect to the real website after login, when really they're handing over their login credentials and opening the door for a malware attack. Similarly, hackers may also upload malicious versions of popular apps, GitHub's repositories, or other commonly downloaded files via URLs that are nearly identical to legitimate download links. Sometimes they may even use clone versions of the files so they'll seem safe, but secretly contain malware. The type of squatting campaigns Cyber and Bleeping Computer discovered use dangerous malware like Vita Stealer, which can lift bank information, login credentials, and other critical personal data, Agent Tesla, which can take information from web browsers, VPNs, and other apps and even crypto stealing programs other type of squatting attacks may employ other forms of malware whatever is lurking in those misspelled urls the trick is actually getting people to open the fake links instead of the real thing a common method is to use typo squatting links in phishing and smishing campaigns threat actors send emails or text messages that claim to be from official sources And unsuspecting users click on the link. In other instances, users simply mistype a URL or search term and end up on a malware infected web page or downloading a dangerous file. So, how can you avoid type check, check, typo squatting attacks? The best way to combat typo squatting is for the legit companies being targeted to buy misspelled URLs so threat agents can't use them against their users. However, there are ways the average person can avoid these attacks if they know what to look out for. And, let's say about phishing attacks, the simplest solution is to never click on links or download files from unknown email addresses, phone numbers, or websites. Turning on text and email spam filters can also prevent Phishing attempts from ever reaching your inbox. It's possible some bad links will slip through, so familiarize yourself with telltale signs of phishing emails. Well, what to do if you click on a phishing link? However, you can also stumble upon typo squatting links by mistyping a URL or search term. It's check check or search term check check or search term yourself. So make sure you double check websites and download links to ensure they're correct. Bookmark the websites you visit the most often, especially login pages. That way, you'll always know you've landed on the real one. Similarly, make sure you're looking up the right download links on websites like GitHub. Once again, double-check your spelling, and make sure you're accessing the real download source. Another easy check is to ensure the URL includes HTTPS which is more secure than HTTP. Some browsers include a, a- check, check HTTPS option and often won't even connect to websites that don't use HTTPS without warning you first. Lastly, effective anti-malware software can also act as a last line of defense against infected files you've accidentally downloaded. Just don't rely on it as your sole means of malware prevention. You need to proactively avoid threats, too. Windows subsystem for Android declared ready for prime time. Says whom? Microsoft, of course. Early reports are it works well, but selection of available apps is meager. Microsoft has declared the Windows subsystem for Android With the abbreviation WSA, its offering that runs Android virtual machines, which behave just like another application in Windows, is sufficiently stable that it can be designated version 1.0 and made available to all. While Windows can now run Android's virtual machines, only 50,000 apps are available from the Amazon.com App Store at this time, not like the larger Google Play Store with a huge library of apps. Google apps aren't in the Amazon store, nor are they in the Microsoft store. You won't find WhatsApp or Slack. In fact, it's tough to find apps other than games in the store. And when a search term does not bear fruit, it delivers what looks like knockoff apps. Installing WSA is very easily accomplished, by using the Microsoft Store to install the Amazon App Store as a Windows application. Doing so sees Windows guide you through the installation of the subsystem and perform some background tasks to ensure Windows 11 is ready to run virtual machines. After a few minutes of installation process work, Windows reboots and you're ready to run WSA, which boots up in a few seconds later. Once you acquire an app from the Amazon App Store, it appears in Windows as just another app. And once you run it, it behaves just like any other app. Microsoft's advice to developers suggests that WSA is an ideal way to target Windows users with code written for Android. But it notes that many things may need to change before an app behaves well on the desktop OS. Code that assumes touch input, for example, may not deliver a great user experience when used with mouse and keyboard. WSA will become more relevant for a wider audience beyond casual gamers as apps are made available through the Amazon App Store. As things now stand, WSA will, if nothing else, offer developers who work on Windows PCs a handy way to test their work. Presenting technology chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Marty Winston
1: joins me now, and Marty, uh, recently we were talking about how you you give some some really good reviews, and sometimes you put things through their paces. <laughs> and you I understand as
2: much luck, yeah.
1: I, I understand that this one is. It's It's got some hits and some misses. Tell me about I, this.
2: I, I think that's fair. And this is from Rhino Shield. And as a disclaimer, it really does not effectively shield you against rhinos. Uh, I, but, shocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't believe it. <laughs> uh, however, they, they uh, are good against lesser uh, threats to a phone for their cases. And what they sent was their Grip Max. Now, Grip Max is a gizmo that goes on the back of your phone. Or your mm-hmm. phone case, okay, uh, and either or both. It, it's kind of elongated, like a fat band-aid. and either or both sides can come up as a handhold or finger loop, or sometimes mm-hmm. a way okay. to rig it like uh, an easel by using the edge of something, or or the, the kind of a. I, I know you had it handy a moment ago. Would you would you
1: show that to me again?
2: I will show it to you. You can see so, the size so, yeah, and shape. It's,
1: it's two ovals with with springs. It's that pop out, not okay, yeah. not
2: springs quite. It, it's springy plastic. It's, yeah, okay, yeah, and you can do one side or the other. Okay, all right. I'm rocking it back and forth like a seesaw, and then letting it slide back into compact yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for for some purposes, I mean, if you like to hold the the phone on your fingers instead of in your hand, it it's good for that, and mm-hmm. and that's a lot of why these kinds of products are bought. So. You know, there, no fault to them on that. Uh, the suggestion that it can work as an easel might be true for a lighter phone than mine, but mine is a Google Pixel 6 Pro. Uh, put wheels on it, and it's a skateboard. So we'll deal with that. Sure. As a separate sure, item. Sure. Um, it's not as big as the bag phones or the brick phones, but it's, no, it's, it's getting the, there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and put that in an OtterBox Defender case, and you've got some weight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I don't often mention how, but when I do clip it, the, talking about the, the Pixel in the OtterBox, when I clip it to its belt holster, mm-hmm, it yeah. really dependably wants to pull my pants down. Oh, okay.
1: Now. <laughs> uh, suspenders uh no yeah you know when you start having to uh, to wear suspenders or something like that for,
2: for yeah for your, a phone, weird. And,
1: your phone choice it's, it's not good okay
2: and and that big lump on your arm if you're using one of those arm bands and, and oh 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 I, i've seen people doing that uh joggers well, a lot joggers yeah. yeah yeah that's about it though And these days, you probably, you know, probably don't want to be using one of your shoulder holsters to hold a phone. (laughs) (laughs) You reach for it. What's going to happen? Yes. Yes. I tried one of the lanyard things. You know, it goes around your neck and it dingle dangles down there and... uh, the problem is it dingle dangles. It's flipping, flopping back and forth, slapping you in the belly, doing all of that stuff as you go. It, I, I, can't,
1: I can't even imagine that. Uh, so, uh, so they've got a an, somebody has an arrangement where you just it, like lanyards. Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Okay, so you and I have been to CES, and I yeah. I can imagine all of the problems that I had with just keeping your badge on with the badge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Making sure it didn't flip over. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, it, and it I sounds- haven't
2: found anything, you know, a crossbody strap might be interesting, but, you know, I'm starting to look like a crossing guard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You yes. Know, these things can work if you're carrying something the size and weight of a passport, but for something with a battery in it and some electronics, it is a literal pain in the neck. Yeah. I, so, Rhino Shield, uh, by the way, they sent Grimax, and again, no fault to GripMax that all of these problems occur with these phones. It's, they have a good answer for a part of the, the, the challenge there. Mm-hmm. They also sent uh, their case for the Pixel 6, and it is lighter than my OtterBox case. Okay, tell me about that. Well, it still makes you find a pocket or something to carry the phone. OtterBox comes with a holster clip with a, a, mm, a, a yeah. size mm-hmm. clip on it. Yeah. And and, and that's, you know, th- this just... You know, so on a new pocket. What somebody ought to invent is a Pixel Six implant. You know, or trousers with a loop outside one thigh for a holster clip.
1: Yeah, yeah, like cargo pants, maybe. (laughs) Yeah,
2: well, but then you're still below the waist. I mean, a a, a sure, sure, vest. You know, yeah, yeah. Or, 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 how about a follow me drone to just hold the phone for you?
1: Just hovers about. (laughs)
2: Yes, (laughs) That that would do it. So it, I,
1: it has voice commands and yeah, it'll also let you know. Yeah, Mr. I, Winston, you have a telephone
2: call. <laughs> what the ringing one? Tell me, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so again, all appreciation to Rhino Shield. Their, their their case is a good case. It doesn't solve particular needs that I have, but for a lot of people, it's everything they could want or need, and it's going to prevent a lot of damage. The the Grip Max. It's a pretty good solution for a lot of people who just Mm -hmm. need a finger grip and aren't trying to use it as a multi-position easel, no matter where they are kind of thing. Uh, But I do think it's time for the phone makers and for us as their influencers to think about what really we don't like, what's annoying about the ways we carry our phones and what those ways do to further annoy us.
1: Yeah. and yeah
2: you know let them know yeah
1: we're we're going through we're going through into that next phase where they do need to start to listen to us where they do need to start to pay attention to everybody instead yeah. of instead of you know the the Steve Jobs days when he said this is the phone and you're going to buy it
2: there are physical and gravitational user interface errors they need to correct Oh, yeah.
1: Tons of them. Well, and that's across all of technology. All righty. This is Benjamin Rockwell.
0: Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. And thank you, Marty. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. The New York Amateur Computer Club has a presentation Thursday, November the 10th. Meeting time is at 7 p.m. And there'll be lightning talks, guide to buying outlet computing equipment, Bango.js, a hackable smartwatch, and tech gifts for giving and receiving. Online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is nyacc.org. Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, November the 11th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom. The website is limac.org. The Brookdale Computer Users Group has no meeting scheduled for November, but you can go to their website at bcug.com for future meetings. Tech Ed Connect, formerly the Westchester PC Users Group, that's WPCUG, has a presentation, Holiday Tech Gifts Ideas, Thursday, December the 1st. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom, and their website is wpcug.org. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, December the 2nd. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Their website is acgnj.org. The Kingsbyte Computer Club meets Tuesday, December the 13th. Meeting time is 7 p.m., and they meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant at 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. To confirm your attendance, please call 347-278-7320. Happy computing! Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN.Live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on PRN.Live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email address to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz... Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy. Until we meet again, same time, same station, next week.